RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Auckland herbalist Aaron Hudson joins us here on the program at Reality Check Radio Breakfast. We talked to Aaron, I think, back in uh, was either late June or early July, and we kind of got a, a, a history into herbal medicine in New Zealand, and that was a really interesting story. And Aaron is back with us. Welcome back, Aaron. Thanks for coming back on RCR. It's nice to have you. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Okay. Like I said last time, I, I have a whole new view now of Karanga Happy Road after you talking in our last chat, because I've been up and down there so many times, never realized that I was walking past the epicenter of the history of that. Okay. So let's talk about um, uh, medicinal cannabis here now. We're going to talk about the canaposium uh, shortly. Also, um, you know, patients uh, in pain or looking for relief and how, how they're accessing that sort of relief given the current conditions uh, and now the knowledge of of the benefits that are out there. First up, though, I was really interested to read some of the research you've done. You might want to talk about that and, and the results. I didn't do a deep dive, but the first thing I noticed is 95% think that this therapy is can, works for them, is great, and is kind of their favoured go-to. Am I right? Is that 95%? Well, 95% from the study that was done with Dr. Fiona Hutton and Dr. and Jeff Noller from um, both Victoria and Otago University. So that survey we put together really did show that across the board, people felt that it was better, you know, taking the therapeutic cannabis and in the way that it was prescribed. And that might be from their GP. It could be going through a cannabis clinic. It could be um, also going through the Green Fairy market, if you like, where there's, you know, uh, hundreds of um, Green Fairies and, and other practitioners helping and supporting patients the community. So the research didn't sort of surprise us, but what we have with that is that information to go forward to policymakers and regulators to let them know that there's a real benefit. And and in the fine print of the study, Paul, it showed that a great deal of those people came off their pharmaceutical medication. So whether it be morphine, pregabalin, gabapentin, tramadol, even just good old paracetamol, they were able to relieve themselves of that um, attachment and use cannabis, you know, in the meantime. And I would say that the people who didn't necessarily feel they got benefits from it, they still might have found that they slept better. You know, that's always classic. And yeah. cannabis will always give you, or generally, give you a better sleep. And sleep is a, a crucial part. I know I've been there, of healing. Mm. Really yeah. crucial. And, and some people will say, you know, they're sleeping two and a half, three hours at night, and then they're awake, and then they maybe get another two or three hours sleep. And so those people, when they find the right medicine for what they require, they can have, you know, four to five hours sleep, get up for a pee, and back for another two hours sleep. So when you're not well, and you're recovering, or you're healing, or you're just struggling with your general mental health, by sh for sure, um, children included, when they find the right um, cannabis prescription, they can be completely different children simply because they've gotten a better night's sleep. Well, without boring everybody, I've got experience of this. I can tell you it works. It, it changed the recovery, the cancer recovery. I was uh, in the middle of uh, almost to this uh, month, 10 years ago, going from morphine substantially and tramadol, I think was the other one that we had that you mentioned there. I'm always fascinated with the names of these drugs. I wonder who makes them up. There must be some department that tries to put bits of words together to get the, the, the final product name. Anyway, one thing I found was 
um, not only did I get more sleep and there was actually less pain as such, also the attitude went and the effects of the medication, there were psychological effects, um, you know, anxiety in there, sort of a sense of dread. I noticed a bit on morphine. That all kind of evaporated in about a day. Yeah, and that's so, not unusual to have yeah. quite a quick turnaround, although the majority of people, whether they're whoever they're working with, they will generally start on a low and a slow protocol. Well, that wasn't me. No, you jumped in boots and all, yeah. but you also were quite aware of what the other effects could be with regarding to psychoactivity. Yeah. So there's um, some very naive, and naive being the term for a person who's hadn't accessed cannabis before, so naive users, and then there's the non-naive users who can pretty much absorb and accept just about any product going along. But yep. the people who are a little bit unsure or they're quite sensitive to any type of medication, including the good old paracetamol, they find that if they start slowly and they increase their dose gradually, then they don't get that full-on effect that you might have felt. And at the same yep. time, they still get pain relief. And, and I think they get that sense of being back in the driver's seat, you know, choosing their pain relief, managing their own uh, treatment instead of that constant reliant on the experts that surround an unwell person. The pain relief is an interesting one because, again, I, I can compare from memory. Morphine and tramadol, they did knock the pain on the head. If it wore off, you could feel the pain coming back. Same with um, cannabis. But um, you with I noticed with cannabis, you could actually still feel the pain. Yes. You could still sense it was there. But for some reason, your thinking kind of blocked out a percentage of it. So yeah. it was still there. It wasn't completely gone, but it was – Taken to a tolerable, manageable, sort of minute-by-minute minute sort of level. I notice quite a distinct difference between the effects of the two different classes of drugs, I guess you'd say. Yes, and that's the effects. And then if you think about the side effects, you know, the side effects of tramadol and morphine are disturbed dreams, you know, sleeping all day, not sure where you are. And that's not so much good, you know, at the end of oh, life when horrible, people really actually. need to be involved in their day. Um, but also the the other sort of negative effects are, you know, constipation. So mm. if anyone's had any type of pelvic surgery or pelvic problems and then they're put onto something which is constipating, oh, you know, yeah. like it just really it defies all odds, really. So and then of course the side effects of cannabis is as you know, is there's some pain relief, so minimal sort of um resistance to that ongoing chronic pain. But the 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 pluses are people generally feel relief in their mind so mental yes. health is a great improvement and of course they sleep better so if you know if you're a worried person because of the pain and you know by about four o'clock in the afternoon you can start increasing your drops and combining your formulas enable yourself to relax into the evening and, and know that you're going to get some sleep instead of worrying all evening oh what sort of a sleep am i going to get tonight and to think that it, that that sort of uh, benefit was illegal as I was doing it, I just couldn't believe that. I still can't believe it. Why Why this, well, maybe I know the answer, but I'll ask you, why the resistance to what works? Well, what has always worked, I think, should be Okay, done. Yeah, okay, what has what always has worked. What has always worked. And, and I, as a, let's say, alternative um, medicine therapist, I um, look at the pharma side of things as the real alternative, 
you know, because before the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, when of scientific course. pharma got really, really rampant, before that time, not only cannabis, but every other herb on the planet was used by indigenous um, families, by countries all over the world who still use indigenous medicine for their first uh, port of call, like our Runga practitioners in New Zealand. But of course, they've all been succumbed or been seduced, if you like, by the pharma medicine, as in this one's better. Well, we know it's not better. It can be used alongside, but most definitely across the board, you would see that uh, cancer, sorry, cannabis has got a better safety profile. Why do you think that referendum failed? Lots of reasons, and, and some of them I wouldn't say out loud, but there were certainly you know groups of people who were being encouraged to vote no, and I mean groups of people from a business sense, so whether that's a loose business sense out on the Coromandel there, or whether it's quite a strict business sense with regarding our um, corporates that became involved leading up to that. Oh, well, but, you know, the, the first sense you're talking about is a collapse in the... Um, the um, contraband side of it, market side of it, right? Yeah. So cash voting goes. no, voting no to keep the prices as they were. Right, gotcha. Okay, and you then know, the corporate uh, interest is your farmer side, I suppose, right? Yeah, voting no because they hadn't got their ducks in a row by 2020. They still had a lot more work to do with licensing regarding the medicinal um, licensing, you know, um, uh, formula that had come through from the Ministry of Health. So they hadn't quite got it all in a row. So actually the referendum not going through was pretty much um, an expected thing, even though it was so, so close. And we have to be really clear to anyone who's listening that it was non-binding, which means the very next day yeah. the government could have changed it. So the government chose not to do it, even though it was a non-binding referendum. You know, our other referendum on euthanasia was binding, we made our decision and it was bound. But the referendum on cannabis was non-binding, which meant the government had the final say and they chose not to make that decision. I wonder what I wonder which one our audience would have been more likely to, yeah, to exactly. endorse and support. I have a feeling. Yeah. Okay. So um but uh but it even went to the level where, if I remember rightly, Peter Dunn, when he was in power, um, was okay to have the synthetic cannabis product out there until it became untenable. People mm. started dying. Um, that was okay, even though anyone with half a brain knew that that was causing problems because so many people were using it, you, you knew that. Mm. And still, this thing that works on all sorts of fronts, and we're talking medicinal here, still suppressed. That's, yeah. again, it's it's kind of hard to explain the thinking, to understand the thinking, that sort of dogged doubling down on on you know a dumb thing yeah and that term as well medicinal it's kind of like if we're talking about medicinal it's okay but there's a lot of practitioners that wouldn't have much of a much of a change between what's recreational and what's medicinal yeah. i mean recreational use is relaxing and maybe being creative and maybe dancing and partying well how is that different than any other substance that creates Alcohol. you know joy and mirth yeah yeah, well, um, the the thing about that is, um, in terms of uh, that that sort of crazy suppressed attitude. When I had a point here, edit here. What was I going to say? Was a significant thing. Just give me one moment there. And um, what was I going to say? Uh, 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 uh. Oh yeah, 
the obsession with the getting high part of it, which I think is something to do with the resistance. You know, you've got if 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 it's sort of boiled down to its active ingredient with no sort of uh, um, high effect, it's somehow kind of better. But again, I tell you from experience, the high part of it, depending on how much you dial in, is actually part of the therapeutic benefit. Yeah, you know, it's not just like you're taking a um, a normal pharma medicine, you know, like a pill and it does. No, and, and you don't notice anything changing uh, in consciousness or whatever. No, that is actually part of the therapy. It Am is. I right? Well, it is, but the majority of people that I would speak to aren't looking for that. Well, they're not looking for it, yeah. but once they understand. Yes. Because, and- again, speaking from experience, that that is part of the, I mean, it's part of what the mechanism that lowers the pain. Yes, and gives correct. you an attitude that 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 is more positive. You know, it's part of the therapy. I think. I, I think you're right with that, and it's just sort of um, alerting. For example, the 85, 90 year old person who's never accessed cannabis in their life to explain psychoactivity and how that might be for them is quite an interesting experience. I can imagine. I hadn't thought of that age-wise. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And even, let's say, even with our young uh, patients who, you know, some of our patients will be um, undergoing chemotherapy and having real trouble with nausea. So for some of those patients, having access to cannabis is is just a a lifesaver, literally. But also, you know, you don't want those little ones, let's say, um, affect You want them to be, you know, have no nausea, be free of any discomfort, sleep well, but you don't necessarily want them blazed. No, no, I guess the point I was making is that because that is used as a suppression tool, and and I think that's unnecessary. Of course, you don't want two-year-olds or four-year-olds blazed off their face, you know, no way. And and I'm sure part of the technology is you can dial in the appropriate kind of thing um, for that. But for it to be the, the killer app that stops it from ever becoming something is dumb. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, so, you know, like part of the research that we looked at mostly too was people's own ability to dose themselves. And I think that's quite different from pharma as well. We get our prescription, we get TDS or QID and we follow it to a T. Whereas what will often happen with the cannabis pr- prescription, um, it'll be start low, go slow, and that person will find their own dosing quite independently. And they'll know if they have a one or two drops too many that they'll be a bit of a sleepy afternoon. They know if they keep their dosing low, they'll be able to achieve a little bit more and then increase their dosing towards the end of the day so that they can relax in the evening. And I find most grown-ups and grown-ups who've got a helper can get that adjustment really, really easily managed so that they're back in control of what they're doing again. Yeah, okay. Okay, canaposium. Canaposium. What's that? What's it all about? Tell us, please. Well, it came out of having the research done. So um, essentially, once the research was completed, we thought to ourselves, now how are we going to get this information out? So we had stuff and we had a news hub. And most recently, we've had UK Drug Science pick up the study, the survey, and promote it through the UK. As in, look what's happening in New Zealand. They're looking at the therapeutic use of cannabis. So with all of that, um, all of those outputs coming around about the research, I just felt that if we didn't um, grab Dr. Fiona Hutton, bring her up to Auckland and provide a venue for her to share this information, not just to practitioners and industry, but mostly to patients. So 
the lineup is incredible. In fact, it's top heavy with experts. And so my real desire now is to have uh, a suitable amount of patience there as well to reap the benefits of these experts. So I'll briefly tell you some of the people who will be at the Canoposium and your listeners can make up their own mind. So Chloe Swarbrick is going to come and open the session unless she's um, booked for a television you know, uh, presentation that morning because it is a week before the election. And then oh, we've yeah. got um, we've got a registered nurse, Rebecca, who'll be coming to talk about the endocannabinoid system. So that sets the scene for everybody in the room to have that very basic understanding of just what you're talking about, Paul. What's that mechanism that the pain switches off? What's that mechanism that you get stoned? You know, what are the mechanisms around how our body actually has this ability to create on demand? endocannabinoids then we've got um the woodfield family so we've got nikki and gavin who are very happy to come and talk to you at another time and their little boy george um had leukemia so he had two and a half years of chemotherapy and during that time he used a lot of cannabis medicine uh from his uh gp as well as from the um, green fairy market so they're going to talk about accessing not only through their gp and through grangle branson Um, but also axing it through the uh, Green Ferry market. And then the highlights of the whole weekend, actually, for me, is two post-lunch panellist discussions. So the first post-lunch panellist discussion will be with uh, Russell Brown, who has been an advocate for the cannabis industry that we um, are involved with for quite a few years. So he's going to um, have the first day talk about prohibition, So I'm sure the referendum will come up. And through that um, panellist on the Saturday, we've got Wendy Allison coming. So she is with Know Your Stuff, who is an incredible um, woman who's created something very, very new, not only in New Zealand, but in the whole world, drug testing at festivals. So she'll be there. Also Pearl Schomburg, who's um, Auckland Patient Group Advocate and a very strong advocate for cannabis and particularly patients. And then we've got a few other people as well, but I'll keep them up my sleeve. And then in the afternoon, we've got Dr. Fiona Hutton, who's going to present all of our research with regarding the therapeutic use of cannabis in New Zealand. Then on the Sunday, we have a little morning session on the plant. You know, you can't have a conference on cannabis and talk about it as a drug and talk about it as 0.5 of a mil and, you know, talk about all these calculations. You have to bring the plant back. So we've got 45 minutes on the Sunday morning with our herbalist, Laura. She's going to talk about the botany of the cannabis plant. And then, as I mentioned, Dr. Graham Gorbranson, he'll be talking next about cannabis as an exit drug. Well, so exit being? As in from meth, from tramadol, oh, right. not, from not morphine. Not from the planet. <laughs> actually and from the planet we could As have a palliative. that too yeah, yeah. yeah. okay and, but getting out of of drug uh, hard drugs and sort of yes. stepping stepping down that way yeah and he'll have the data to show how that works so it's not him anecdotally saying this is what i see in my practice he has an audit that he is able to demonstrate that very significantly people were able to move away from their pharma heavy medications even if they just reduced them by a third even if they just moved six out and still continued with that seventh one you know it's not about taking people off their meds it's about showing them that there's an option for that support after Graham Gorbranson, we've got Lula George from Motherwell in, in Auckland. She's very famous for her work with anything to do with fertility and women's health. So she'll be talking about cannabis through um, through pregnancy and for women's health. And then after her, we have our second, um, what is it, our second panellist, and that will be discussing food-grade access. 
So food grade means something that's been grown in someone's garden, manufactured in their garage, extracted and, you know, dispensed into their the kitchen. kitchen. In their kitchen, <laughs> just like you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and a and saucepan, it, that's all. Yeah. And at that point, it's it's often gifted or else it's, um, you know, part of the process of the green market. And right. then to finish off the whole weekend, we've got a gentleman called Kim, Kim, sorry, Albert Kim. And Albert's going to be talking about uh, brain health, cannabinoids and brain health. You know, so away from being stoned, it's actually about what cannabinoids can do for post-traumatic stress disorder and for concussion, which is a really big oh, issue, okay. really yeah. big issue. And so that's that's our weekend. Like it's, we've got pharmacologists, we've got academics, we've got herbalists, we've got GPs, and we've got a nurse. So we've got a full range of what's available out there for currently seeing patients and, and talking to them about this, but it's going to pull it into such a way that patients can not only ask questions of these very experienced people in their own field, but they can set in motion like, what's next? What do we want to do? How can we move this along? Because prohibition isn't working, hmm. never has worked. No. The only way to, to sort of sort that out is to not keep patching up with blue tack our drug laws but to throw them out and re and replace them with a new. Well, there's still a Puritan streak. Very somewhere, much. You yeah. know. Cannabis um, needs to come out of that and it needs to go into the other psychoactive type things like mushrooms, you know, MDMA, mm, uh, mm. cannabis, you know, morphine, <laughs> tramadol, that's all psychoactive. Coffee, Even. that can go in the psychoactive uh, register, whereas it does not belong in the Misuse of Drugs Act along with those other um, quite dangerous and quite, um, you know, strong chemical preparations like your morphine and your fentanyl oh, yeah. and even your opiates. Opiates yeah. kill people all over the world, and yet we're promoting opiates when there's something as simple as even a CBD product. No THC, just a CBD product can alone help with some of that chronic pain. And I can guarantee anyone who's sort of, um, you know, possessed enough to be so against it, if they were in need and received the relief, if they were in need that that gives there, they would flip immediately, I'm telling you. Uh, there are some very sorry conversations, you know, in the community as some older folk or just people who go, I really didn't understand and realise what the referendum was about. You know, and we had a crazy year, so there was no information given to the public. There was no support about what is medicinal use of cannabis. You know, we just went straight into, you know, yellow line saying where we couldn't couldn't stand you know, yeah. so we never had a chance to really have that discussion and no one was helping that discussion and of course it went the way it went well a canaposium will go some way towards that can you see though i can see a time when this will what's the term be mainstream that it'll just cave at some point i guess the question is how far away are we from that well, this is the third election that I've been involved with when I thought, fingers crossed, this is going to be a relief for the for the hundreds, hundreds of people in the community that support unwell patients. Yeah. You know, as, as good as the scheme is, it's very costly. It's more costly than it is to buy on the, mar on the, on the black market. Okay, so what are the costs? Because I, 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 I did my own, so I don't know. It was all, you know, um, DIY. Well, for example, a CBD product might be sold through one of the cannabis clinics anywhere between 
265 and 220, you know, like those are big prices. Um, I would have to do a shout out for Nahua Pharmacy in Hamilton. They have the cheapest cannabis in New Zealand because they do not load onto that patient's costs any further pharmaceutical costs. Right. So they 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 get the prescription, you send the prescription to them, and they send it, courier it to your home, and there's no additional cost. Now, the next closest to them is a group in uh, Wellington called Wellworks Pharmacy, and Wellworks will do exactly the same thing. They'll get your prescription and they'll send it through. Of course, the uninitiated patient, they might go to a cannabis clinic or they might go to a GP and get their own GP pharmacy to fill it, with a huge cost on top because that that's just a markup, right? Just well, a and that pharmacist might buy market. one product for that person, whereas Nahuya Pharmacy might buy ten at once, and so they have a much much better, um, you know, cash flow with that with those larger organisation, you know, orders. Yeah, at least I guess it's accessible, sort of. <laughs> yes, well, yes, but but even for those patients, that's quite a big ask for to paying yeah. that sort of money. And so, so that's not co- is that covered in the you know didn't the government cover all prescriptions? Is that covered? No, in that? it's not subsidised. And this is this is a why scoop. wouldn't it be subsidised? This is a scoop for you, um, Paul. Oh, it's great. not subsidised. And Wins has a new policy that says if you've already had your access to your one uh, prescription this month that you cannot have a second. So effectively, Wins are saying policy from the top down, if you've got your prescription from your GP. This is for a cannabis medication. Any cannabis medication. Yep, okay. You can only get one per month. One per month. So you have to choose because it's obviously far too good and it's racing out the door. So Wins are getting applications up the wazoo for plant material, which they see as... That's not really, that's not medicine. Um, And yet it is because the GP has prescribed it. So what's happening is WINS is requesting a double sign-off by that GP in order to have that payment be made by ACC, or sorry, by WINS. Or do they also think, because I wouldn't put it past the thinking, that uh, they're somehow trying to get access, uh, easy access to a bit of smoke, you know, a bit of, uh, you know, uh, illicit product to get high on. Yeah, but there's, there's two things. There's, there's that stigmatised approach, but there's also the fact that the increase in patients yeah. and requesting and, and WINS is having to fund it. And I think they're quite surprised. But hello, you created the medicinal scheme. You put it available for GPs to prescribe. And now that they're prescribing a non-subsidised product, you've decided as an organisation that you only need one prescription a month. Who's to say that person doesn't require two for whatever their medical condition is? Not about the person, is it? It's about the money and how it looks. Okay, so um, venue and date one more time. So the venue is Auckland. It's at the Surrey Hotel in Greylin, and it's Saturday and Sunday, 7th and 8th of October, so it's about five weeks away. And, yeah, it's going to be an 8.30 start with Chloe and also a 4, 4.30 finish, so not a big, long day. Okay. Thanks, Erin Hudson. Nice to have you back on RCR, and uh, we'll find out how that went when the time comes. Great. Thanks very much, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.